It's different than the Gospel of John. So if, you, if you're unfamiliar, uh, 1 John... Tommy, can I see it back there too? Um, 1 John is easiest to go to Revelation and then just flip back a few pages. Uh, 1 John, we're, we're going to spend a couple of... At least a couple of weeks uh, in, in the book of 1 John. It's written by the same author who wrote the Gospel of John. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but... Um, I'm just going to let you know ahead of time, I have absolutely no idea uh, where this morning's message is going to go. I've tried to outline it three times, and it's different every time. And so I just finally told the Lord, I'm done. You just, you'll have to just lead me however you want. Uh, I'm going to stop trying to overanalyze this. And so if my slides behind me don't match what I say, you'll just have to like Give me a pass on that one because uh, I'm, I'm try, I tried, but uh, whatever God wants to do is, is what we certainly want. I know not all of you know this, uh, but my wife and I had an opportunity to uh, go to the Grand Canyon uh, just what to, uh, last week, maybe two weeks ago, and we had never been there before and celebrating our 25th anniversary. We are so excited uh, to be able to visit the Grand Canyon, seeing all kinds of pictures about it, but what everybody tells you is, well, you just have to see it. The pictures don't do justice. And I'm sure that you've experienced something like that in your life. And uh, so as Jamie and I were, uh, we went and parked and then we were headed towards the Grand Canyon. I kind of thought uh, this is going to be cool, be able to see it from far away. But like they, I don't know if they purposely planted shrubbery and everything, but you can't see the canyon until you get right up to the fence uh, line because there's just uh, shrubs all the way to it and when we we got there it was just absolutely amazing uh, i tried to uh, include a video with my children on uh, on an app called marco polo where i was like all right you guys i'm gonna i'm gonna let you see what i see as i see it you know and here they are looking at a little screen about this big and i'm like getting to look at the vastness of the grand canyon it was so amazing I think one of the things that, uh, that really um, caught me, though, is, uh, well, I'm going to show you a picture of, of, the, of the canyon. So this is, this is the very first spot uh, that we stood and just the Grand Canyon. It, again, it's, if you've not been there, it's really hard to describe other than to say, like, wow. I mean, just wow. But what was a really interesting wow to me is that we probably stood here for 10 minutes just just looking at the incredible glory that lay behind us. And I heard my wife say to, to someone else, not to me, but how could you come here and not believe in a creator? Like, it just, it just amazes. But, but what was so interesting is we took about, I don't know, 25 yards, went, went down about 25 yards, and you have to stop because it's a brand new view. And it looks completely different. And we took a, we took a picture, and, and I don't know if the background has if you could tell how different it is, but it is completely different now. And this is less than, less than a half mile from where we started. We started walking and we stopped a few minutes up there and like took a, another picture and just completely beautiful, uh, different view. And then later on, we got in the car and we drove a, a little bit further to get to this third spot to be able just like every time. And, 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 and this may sound, you may think I'm over-spiritualizing things and I'm not trying to, but like for the first time, I, I was like, So, so this is how an angel that was created when, whenever God created the angels, this is how he can, he can fly around the throne of God and for however long he has existed, says, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And he says that over and over and over and like like i don't know my humanity is like dude that would get really old really fast but we could walk a little bit further down the grand canyon and go wow walk a little bit further and go wow do you know what we're going to get to do for all of eternity we're going to get to see the depths of the glory of god over and over and over never the same thing twice our god is so amazing that for all of eternity we just sit there and go wow oh wow look at look at 
Wow! And we're never going to grow tired of that because of the glory of God. Uh, sort of, we will never grow tired like my children grew tired of me trying to show them like three pictures of the Grand Canyon. They're like, we're done. That's why, Kenny, I just had no idea if Steve was really interested in your trip or not. <laughs> you go on vacation and it's really neat to you, but uh, not everybody else is always uh, quite as interested. But in the book of 1 John, John is, is he's going to tell us why he writes. In fact, he does that for every, every one of the books that John writes. He, he explains why he is writing the very book that he's writing. And I love that because, you know, there, there are, there's purpose behind that. We all live very busy lives, right? No one, no one here is going to not say I'm not busy. Every one of us, I mean, probably the most common answer that's given, how you doing, is either fine or busy. Well, why are we so busy? What are we doing in that busyness? John brings a purpose to things. I remember reading a book when my children were very young, maybe even before they were born, but there was a statement in there, and when I say it, you're going to look at me like that's not a very smart statement, okay? But, but just grant me just a moment. It said, your children will never learn what you don't teach them. Okay, now does that sound like a brilliant statement? Your children will never learn what you don't teach them. You ever looked at your kid and asked him a question and go like, how do you not know that? Are you kidding me? You're 18 and you don't know that? Uh, may maybe they don't because you never taught them. And when I read that, I, I, I know, well, it must have been when I had two boys because Trinity wasn't born yet because I have a three by five card that I sat down and I wrote 10 things I wanted my boys to know. And if, I, if, if no one's going to teach them, I want to teach them. And I, one of them was to love God. One of them was how to treat a lady. One of them was I want them to know why we sacrificially give. One of them was because I wanted my children, I, I, I wanted my boys to know how to work hard. And I wanted them to know what it means to truly give your best. Because yeah, I, I was a wrestling coach, and, and in wrestling, what I would always tell my, my wrestlers at the beginning of the year is, I know my limitations as a coach. I'm never going to make you a great wrestler. Okay, but I'm not here to make great wrestlers. That is not my purpose. Because if I make you a great wrestler, that will give you a high until you're 18. And then what? What do you do with that? I mean, I'm sure that in this room, there are men and women who were the MVPs of their high school sports teams. What value is that to you today? Right? Trophies, unless you're a narcissist, uh, your trophies are probably in the trash. And, and other than to make yourself feel good by telling stories occasionally, the fact that you were the best on your team means absolutely nothing. You know what does, what does mean something? Is the effort and the hard work and the character you invested to become the best. So I would tell my wrestlers, I'm not trying to make great wrestlers. I, with you guys this year, what I want is to see great men. I want to start shaping great husbands, great fathers, and great Christian leaders. That's my desire. So as, as we look at our lives and, and, and as we look at the busyness of our lives, my, my question to you is, have you ever asked yourself why you are so busy? And do you really need to be? John is going to give a purpose behind the books of the Bible. He writes, he, he writes the Gospel of John, right? And he, the Gospel of John is all about the conversion of sinners. And, and he says, oops, that's not the right Verses that should not be 33 through 31. That's a 30 through 31. This is what it says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Meaning, there's a lot of things that aren't recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote his gospel so that sinners could be converted. But John also wrote the book of Revelation. You may or may not know that. And that's, that's all about the coronation of the king. 
John hears a voice from heaven in verse number 10. The Spirit of God speaks to him. And in verse 19 of chapter 1, that voice says, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So John's like, I'm writing my gospel so that you will be saved. I'm writing this revelation so you will know what is to come. And then when John writes his letters to the churches, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he's doing so to bring confirmation to the saved. Meaning he wants people who have believed in Jesus, which is what John, the gospel, was talking about. He wants those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus to really know that they are saved. So, so he writes this in John, 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And John writes this because there's a couple of things happening in the lives of these early Christians. As soon as churches would be planted, false teachers were coming in. False teachers, some who were trying to bring uh, the rigid rule-keeping of Judaism. Some who were going to teach Gnosticism, which is that, that Jesus was not really God in the flesh. Others were going to try to, to say you could live however you want to because how you live in the flesh does not affect the spirit. So all these people were, were questioning the false teaching that goes on. In fact, John writes in the book of Revelation to seven churches, and in five of the seven churches, and these churches weren't very old, but in five of the seven churches, he's correcting them for either living worldly or allowing false teaching. So you hear false teaching and it makes you kind of question, am I really saved? Have you ever wondered, am I really saved? What it, well, this person says, this is what you have to do. And this, this religion says, this is what you have to do. And John was saying, I'm writing so you can know that 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 you're saved. But also, this church is being persecuted. Doesn't it raise a question, if I'm doing the right thing, why are bad things happening to me? Lord, if, I, if I'm trying to follow you, why? Am I really not saved? And so these questions were coming in, and so John purposely writes this letter to bring some assurance to these first century Christians, and he's, he's near the end of, his, end, of, end of this first John when he writes this, I write these things, and he tells you exactly why. To you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants Christians to know they have eternal life. Don't you want to know that? I want to know that. And so what does, what does John say? Well, John's going to provide three specific characteristics about Jesus throughout his letter. And, and this, this first sermon is, is kind of going to be like helicopter view. We're not going to get real down deep necessarily. It's more, more like just going to share with you what John does is he says that God is life God is light and God is love in first John chapter 5 he says and we are in him who is true by being in his son Jesus Christ he Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life God is light first John 1 5 this is the message we have heard and declared to you God is light in him there is no darkness at all and in 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So John's going to give these different views of God all to try to help Christians confirm in their hearts and know that they are saved. But John colors outside the lines. He uses that God is life in order to prove God is light. And he'll talk about how God is light to prove God is love. He's going to bring out the fact that God is love as a proof that God is life. He, he's all over the place. It's not like a, a simple outline, A, B, and C. It's like a messy drawing that uh, just colors all over the place because John's going to interconnect these beautiful characteristics of God. He is life. He is light. And he is love. All so that you, as a believer, facing persecution, facing false teaching, how you can know 
that you know that you have eternal life. So, what do you think is the first thing John's going to say? For you to know that you have eternal life, he opens up the he opens up the book by saying this. Chapter 1, verse 1, if your Bibles are open, and I'm going to be reading from the NIV version this today. Just, it brings such clarity uh, to what we're going to look at. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says this. Oops, I'm sorry. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now, John's an interesting author. He doesn't just come out and say Jesus is eternal life. He says that at the end, but he doesn't come out and say it at the beginning. He's like, I'm going to talk about something I've touched and handled and heard and seen the life. He says it was the life that was from the beginning, the life that was with the Father. And you're like, John, why don't you just say it? I don't, I don't know why John just doesn't come out and say it, but he opens up his own gospel the same way in John chapter 1. So this is a little bit of a different color background, just so you know we're, we're going to go out of 1 John and into the gospel of John. This is what he says. He doesn't say who Jesus is as he opens up his gospel. He says, that, uh, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. So we have the beginning and with God again. And the word was God. So now he's proclaiming Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Jesus is the creator. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John says, in the beginning was the, the Word, and the Word was with God, which is what, exactly what he just says about life in 1 John. So we know he's talking about the same person. could almost say same thing, but it's, it's, we know it's Jesus, so the same person. And he's saying this light, this Jesus, is also life, and he connects light and life in his own gospel. And, and think, think with me now. How does that connect to the very beginning of the Bible? In the beginning, God did what? Created. That's exactly what John says. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Well, we see John is, is talking about this life that was with the beginning, the creator of the worlds, was God. And how did God create the worlds with his Words. Huh. There you go. Sorry, I did that. Huh. Sorry. <laughs> Leanne mentioned to me yesterday how I do that sometimes. I guess I'm not conscious of doing that, but um, he, the, the, the life, he, he creates life with his word. What's the first thing that God creates? Light. What's the last thing that God creates? Man, he gives life, right? So you see how all of this is just beautifully interconnected. And, and John's like, okay, so I want to give you assurance of eternal life. So here's what we're going to start off with. The life that was at the beginning of the world, that created the world, that was life, that gave life. He came here and we touched him. Jesus, who was here, he's really God. If we don't start there, we'll never have assurance of eternal life. If we do not believe Jesus Christ, who walked on this earth, was really God, you're never going to have assurance. If we haven't figured out who Jesus is, we're going to really struggle whether we're ever going to be saved. So John is bringing real depth right at the beginning. All right, you want to know that you're saved? You better know Jesus. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself because that's what he's about to say in verse 3. This is what John says back in 1 John. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Seen and heard from who? From the life. From the eternal life. From the word. From the beginning. The one who was with the Father. We're going to tell you what we, apostles, those who were with them, what we have seen and heard. Why? So that, forgive me if I get a little excited, this just, it just makes, 
so that you will know. That's not where he starts. So that you may have fellowship with us. Huh? Yep, you better know who Jesus is so you can have fellowship with us. With the apostles? Well, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the church, right? So John's saying you want to have a fellowship with the church. We have to agree on the same thing, and that agreement is that who Jesus is. And so we want to have fellowship together, but that's not the most important thing. And our fellowship, meaning those of us who have walked with Jesus, who we desire to have fellowship with you, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So John is saying, believe in Jesus so you can have fellowship with the church. And that word fellowship is, is really used mildly. It's very much an intimate connection. You can have fellowship with the church, but most importantly, so you can have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Okay, think, can't lose that. Why does John think it's so important for Christians to have fellowship, intimate connection with the Father and with the Son? Why? Well, because of what Jesus said. In John chapter 17, as Jesus is praying to the Father, he makes this statement. Now, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John, the Apostle John, is saying, I am declaring to you what Jesus said to us because you need to have fellowship. You need to know the Father and the Son because it is knowing the Father and the Son that truly is eternal life. Wow, so eternal life is knowing God and Jesus. This is very important for us to understand as John lays his foundation in this word. What he doesn't say is eternal life is living forever, and to live forever you have to know God. No, he starts off with God is eternal life, God is light. God, this is real important, God is love. He does not start out by saying love is and then defining what love is. Because you know what we do? That's how, that's how we define love. Love is, and then however we define love, we look for God to fit into that mold. And when God doesn't fit into the mold that we think love is, do you know what we think about God? He doesn't love us. He doesn't love me because this is what love is, and God is not fitting into my desires of what love is. But that's not what John is saying. John is saying God is love. That means that anything God is involved in is loving, even if it doesn't feel like it. Because what we do is we really base our circumstances on what God, on, on our, what our desires of love is and whether God fits it. But in 1 John 4, 8, he simply says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Have you ever felt a time where you thought God does not love me? We do that when, we're, when we live in rebellion to God and we don't want to talk to him. We don't want to go to God because we think God doesn't love us because of how we have loved. But see, we have this imagery that we have to do something in order to receive love. No, no, no. Start with this. God is love. That means if you're going to God, you are going to be loved. Sometimes we feel like the circumstances in our life Say, God can't be loving if he let this happen to me because we have defined what love should look like as opposed to understanding God is the definition of love. And if anything comes into your life that God allows, it is somehow loving. And that's rough. 
But that's truth. So in these first couple of verses, John just declares, we know that Jesus is life. We proclaim to you that is the eternal life. I want you to know Jesus because to know Jesus is eternal life. When Jesus talks to Nicodemus in the book of John, what does he say about life? He says, you must be born again. We talked about that with our family discipleship on Wednesday evening and had a wonderful discussion with some children who don't fully understand that. And that's almost asking the same question Nicodemus says, what do you mean be born again? I go back into my mother's womb? Oh no, born again is new life, but life in God. And so now we as have that new life in God. Guess what we are? We are children of God. Guess what being a child of God means? Look at what John says in 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. John connects love with the fact that you're a child of God, which is life. He connects life and love. But then the question is, how do I know if I'm a child of God? Well, John answers that question. A few verses later in verse number 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Now, just pause right there. I know you're going to read ahead on me, but like, like John's going to be really clear here. You are a child of God or you are a child of devil. There's, there's really no in between. So how do I know? Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Wow. Yikes. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. So if I don't do right, I'm not a child of God. If I don't love my brother or sister, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a child of God. That makes me a child of the devil. Like, that really doesn't seem for John to be giving this assurance of, of the, uh, to, to the Christians. Like, hey, yes, you should know that you know that you know that you're saved. How do I know that I'm saved? Well, you're a child of God. Well, how do I know I'm a child of God if you, don't do, if you do right? You're talking to people who don't always do right. And this room is filled because every seat that has somebody sitting in here is filled with someone who does not always do right. That's a, that's a problem. John goes on to say, Anyone who does not love their brother or sister is not God's child. Okay, so, so, so hold that thought, because I'm going to take you backwards in 1 John. We're going to go to chapter 2, and here's what he says in chapter 2. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness... They do not, where they, do not know, where, know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them off. So now John has connected life to love. He's connected the life of Christ to knowing him, to being loved by God. And that love then is connected to the light because if I don't love my brother or sister, I'm not God's child and I'm not walking in the light. So you see how John is just going to like... In, interchange all this but there's not the there's not the assurance that we're kind of seeking like john like help me out here man i i well, what i want to find want you to notice that is so interesting is john is not giving the assurance of salvation in ways that we look to assurance for salvation you ask many people around the world are you going to go to heaven yes why well because my family's christian I, I don't see that in John, First John. Well, yeah, but I'm going to go to heaven because, well, I, I grew up in church. That is not what John says. Well, look at the past decision that I made. Like, I made a decision when I was five years old at Bible school. I prayed. And John does not go back to a prayer. He doesn't go back to baptism. 
He doesn't go back to a decision that somebody made at an altar. He says, this is how you know you're a child of God. Are you obeying God today? And are you loving your brother and sister? The book of 1 John was not written about how to be saved. Don't get me wrong. We are not saved by doing right and loving our brothers. That's not how we're saved. The Bible is so clear on that throughout all of Scripture. Well, even what Pastor Micah read this morning, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of works. Right? It's not no question. You're not saved by works. John 3, 16. We all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever works really hard. No, no, no. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So John is not writing 1 John to say this is how you are saved. He wrote the gospel of John to tell you how to be saved. It was the conversion of sinners. He's writing 1 John so that you can say, this is how I know that I'm saved. Not by looking back at a past decision, but whether I am presently following my Lord. By obeying him and loving my brothers and sisters. John says in 1 John 5, everyone who believes, right, believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. But John's not trying to say this is how you become a child of God, but rather this is how you know if you're a child of God. And it's this. It gives a believer, an opportunity to look back at that past decision and say, was it real? How do I know it was real? How am I living today? Am I obeying God? And am I loving my brother and sister? And John's going to make Similar statements. I'm just going to read you one or two more. First John chapter 2, verse number 3 says, We know that we have come to know him. And remember, to know him is eternal life. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Not we come to know him by keeping his commands. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. For whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Remember why John's writing. False teachers trying to tell you you can live however you want to. Trying to tell you that Jesus is really not God. And John is saying, you have got to know who Jesus is. And you have got to obey the word that Jesus has Proclaimed, that's how you know that you're not being deceived. How you know you're not a liar. Because people can say, I know him. But if their life is not displaying obedience, the truth is not in that person. He says, we've got to live like Jesus. Now that, that's just crazy. Come on, who can live like Jesus? He was perfect. He was the son of God. He's divinity. I can't do that. But I don't think that's what John meant. I want to show you in, in, in chapter one. And again, I know we're jumping all over the place here. But this is what John says in, in chapter one. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that if we claim to be without sin, I'm sorry, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is not saying that we're supposed to live without sin like Jesus lived without sin because he just got done saying, if you say you live without sin, you're lying. Whew. So if I claim to know God, but don't obey God, I'm lying. Yes. 
If I claim to know God and say that I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do all the time, I'm lying. Yes. So, so let me get this straight. Like, I, I, I know that I'm a child of God if I'm obeying him. Yes. But I don't obey him all the time. Yes. I'm very confused. Come on, John. What's, what's going on? Chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse number 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, John says, I am not writing, a new com- writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Now, let me just pause there so we can understand. What's, what's the old commandment? Well, how did Jesus summarize the old, the, how did Jesus summarize the whole law when someone, when a lawyer came and said, like, what's his great commandment? He's like, you know what? You can hang every law on. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And love your neighbor. Can you finish that? Love your neighbor. As your, that's the old command. You've heard that, John, saying to these Jews, to these Christians, you've heard that. But, This is what he goes on to say. Yet I am writing you a new command. (laughs) And its truth is seen in him, in Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing. Remember, if you don't love your brother, you're you're walking in the, if you don't love your brother, you're walking in darkness. If you love your brother, you're walking in the light. But he says the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. So what's the new command, John? What did Jesus tell his disciples when he got done washing their feet in John chapter number 13? He says, a new command I give to you. This is what Jesus says. Love one another. That's not a new command. We've seen that from the beginning. As I have loved you. That's different. Wait, I, I thought I was supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Yeah, that's, that's the old command. You know what the new command is? Is you are to live as Jesus lived. And you know how Jesus lived? He loved his enemies. And he loved those who hated him. And he loved those who mocked him. And he loved those who ran from him. And he loved everyone to bring them to himself. He loved in such a way that Jesus willingly laid down his very life in order to display his love. I think it's one of the Gettys songs. Light of the world slain in darkness. Something. One of those Gettys songs talks about when the light of the world went dark. When the life died. Why? Why? Because he loved so much. And that is what he is calling you and I to live like. And we can claim all we want to, that we know the Father. But if we don't love our neighbor, our brother and sister, If we don't love people, not the way we would love ourselves, but if we don't love people the way Jesus loved people, we better check that past decision to see if it was genuine. Because here's the thing. If God is life, the life is in me if I am in God. If God is light, The light is in me because God is light. And anyone who walks in darkness does not love his brother or sister. If God is in me and he is love, I will love others. It's a beautiful connection, and I've got to stop, although I've got more to say about this because I want to just kind of close. But I love how John overlaps the light, life, and love. Let me just finish with two things that happened this weekend. So a young lady reached out to me who's writing a book, who's writing a report about 
creationism and evolution. And the question was a little bit more, more geared towards what you believe, but the first question on the page was, how did you come into ministry? Did you feel a calling? I sat down, I started typing, and as I started typing, I, I said, you know, I grew up in church, and I knew God, but I'll be honest with you, I, I did not have a relationship with God. I knew of God. I knew he had died on the cross. No question about that. You, you get that as a, as a little child, but it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I actually pursued a relationship with Christ, and I said, when I was in eighth grade, undoubtedly, without question, God was speaking through his spirit directly to me to call me into the ministry, undoubtedly. And here's what I wrote this young lady, but I didn't want to. Because I figured if I surrendered my life over to God, I'd do a lot of things that I wouldn't want to do. And I knew how I wanted to live my life. I wanted the things that this world thinks are most important. I wanted a nice car. I wanted a nice house. I wanted a good paying job. I wanted to have the, the picket fence and everything that goes along with it. All right, you know, have a wonderful wife and kids and just be able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And I told her, and I figured that by surrendering my life to God, that I would lose all of that. And I said, it's pretty interesting now. Everything that I love is because I gave Jesus my life. Like the light turned on. Oh, oh. life, light, and love. And so, five years ago, two weekends from now, I think, our family grabbed some suitcases, and we came to visit this church so that I could candidate to be your pastor. And when we walked into the airport, I had a wife and three children. I was not interested in moving across the country, bless you. I was not interested in going somewhere where I did not know anybody. I was not interested in moving away from my entire family. There was one thing I was interested in, following Jesus, because I loved him. And wherever that took me, take me. He had our lives because we knew he loved them. Well, well, I had two teenage boys who were walking away from friends of a lifetime. One was a junior in high school. One was a freshman in high school. They were in the middle of their basketball seasons. You can imagine how difficult this would be. One of those boys was really not happy that we were even considering leaving. And I remember when his carry-on bag was thrown onto the conveyor belt and really kind of the lady that was taking our tickets was just kind of a little bit surprised and when I tried to say something there was just the walk off like I don't want any part of this we got to the airport got our rental car and we drove uh, we drove and we stopped at the Chick-fil-A in Haymarket is that where it is Troy Haymarket Haymarket is that where the Chick-fil-A is we sat down at that table and we said, look, if this is what God wants for us, it's not what God wants for me, it's what he wants for our family. There's a, there's a reason for this. There's a reason for you to be coming along, not just because dad is called, going, to, going to be called to be pastor possibly, it's because this is where Jesus wants us. And there was, there was some struggle there, I'll be honest with you. There, there was some struggle there for our whole family as we, as we began to adjust. But one of the things that we said, and it was passed on to me by Jeff Terry, uh, something he had shared with me, and he basically said, look, Brian, God may not reveal to you right now why he's doing all he's doing, but he will in his time. And I told our, I told our kids I don't want you to necessarily be happy with me today. You don't have to love me right now. But I want you, I want there to be a day where you say, hey, Dad, thanks for following Jesus. Well, that young man, he kind of 
grew up and went off to college and came back from college after that first summer and met this really pretty girl and fell in love with that pretty little girl. And last night, He asked that pretty little girl to marry him. And our family's going to gain a daughter. It was the surrendering of life to experience love. And finally, we're starting to see the light. What a God. Do you always get to see it right away? No. But here's the thing. God is love. That means if he asks you to move across the country, he's got a very loving reason for it. And last night, I, I didn't say this to my wife, but I'm, I was just kind of wondering, like maybe... Maybe God didn't bring me here to pastor this church as much as God brought our family here so that our son could meet his dear fiance and so that their lives will be forever altered. That may have been the whole reason God called our family. You know, there's going to be a funeral service or memorial service for a lady who moved to Venezuela with her husband and, and their entire family That's, the Dawson's are an amazing story what were they thinking I don't, here's what I know she obviously loved God she obviously loved her husband because she stayed she obviously loved her children because they chose to stay many of them chose to stay and she loved those people what was she thinking I don't know but as we get to celebrate people who have come to know God because she loved God, huh, they have life because she loved. And God offers light so that we could see. So can I encourage you? I don't know what you're going through. But can I tell you, God is love. And anything that happens to a child of God is loving. And God is life. Apart from God, you will not have life. He is life. Apart from Him, you won't have life. And He is light. He will reveal to you what needs to be revealed in His time so that you can see His love and rejoice in His life. So I would encourage you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, today is the day to give your life to Jesus and experience His love and you will see the light. Would you pray with me? <sighs> Father, my heart is full. It's not full because of anything I have done. You, your love. This is love. Not, not that we love God, but that God loved us. That's, that's love. And gave his son Jesus. Jesus is love. And Jesus is life. And Jesus is the light. And somehow you just, you bring it all together in your time so that we, could, we celebrate. But Lord, we will, we will never know your love if we're not willing to give you our life. And so Lord, if, there, if there's anyone here today and they're, they're struggling with, I don't know that I'm a Christian. I don't, I don't know that I'm a, truly a believer. It doesn't go back to a past decision. It goes back to, have I ever believed in who Jesus is as the Son of God, as the creator of the world, as the one who lived and died, and rose from the grave, ascended back to heaven, today sits on the throne of the worlds. That's my God. The same one that John touched and handled and listened to and spoke to about. God, if there's anyone here that has never given their life to you, I pray that today they would understand that apart from you, they will die in their sin, in darkness, and spend eternity away from you. But Lord, it is simply a belief in who Jesus is as, and what Jesus has done as our Lord and Savior. That's salvation.
Well, there are, there are probably those in here today who they know for sure, there's no doubt in their mind that they are a child of God, and yet there's, there's wavering sometimes about obedience because it seems difficult. Maybe even some of the things you're asking them to do may seem unloving. But God, you've already shown you are life. We saw today you are love. Anything you call us to do, even if we don't see the light now of your love, it will be revealed to us one day how you are loving us so clearly in the circumstances of our life. Father, I pray that there would be Christians today who would want to walk closer to you, follow you even more lovingly, loving their brothers and sisters, not even as we're to love ourselves, but as you loved us sacrificially, laying down it all in order for your light and life and love to come to them. God, would you encourage our hearts and our hands? May may the love that you have move, move us to be the light to this community, whether it's, whether it's through a trunk or treat this, this coming Sunday, where, where, Lord, you know we need help with that. Would you move in hearts? We have encounter coming, and Lord, that's going to be a light to this community. Move our hearts so that we express your love through our lives so that the community sees the light of Jesus because we are assured of who we are as children of God, beloved of the Father and the Son. Father, do your work in hearts today. I'm just going to ask you to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. I'd love for you to, to really look back and say, well, what's my assurance that I am a child of God? Are you obeying And are you loving? How can you obey if you're not? How can you love if you're not? Is there a part of your life you're holding back? Could God be calling someone to the mission field? But we're not ready for that. Could God be asking you to give a part of your life up that you've held on to so tightly? Outside of God, there is no love. He is love. If he's asking you to do something with your life, it is very loving. And he will one day shine the light to show you. Father, may, may we be yours forever and ever because Well, you loved us so much. You pursued a relationship with us so that we can be with you for all of eternity. God, thank you for this dear Laney daughter. I'm so excited for Troy. You had that, you knew that, you knew that on the day we were in the airport. You knew that. That's so cool. It was all in your perfect plan. Ah, help us just to trust your loving hand more and more day by day in our lives so that we can celebrate the goodness and the glory and the depths from every new angle 